You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Calling all trivia nerds, Brittany here, and I host the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast with my best friend, Meredith. Is your next car ride looking like a snooze fest? (laughs) We've got The Cure, three rounds of awesome trivia every week. Harry Potter, Disney, science, sports, you name it. No more silent car troubles. The Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast. Connect, laugh, and learn with your kids, big and small. (laughs) New episodes every week, wherever you get your podcasts. Search for the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion you're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. Recorded in Chicago, Illinois, with your hosts, Ken, Matt, Neil, and Jeff, this is Triviality. Hello and welcome to Triviality, the game where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. My name is Neil and it is the end of January. We're in the middle of a very cold Chicago winter, but lucky for us, we're all together. And Matt's here in person, as we've been saying for the last two months, but it makes the studio warmer, I believe. Right, Matt? Slightly, yeah. I appreciate you guys all cuddling with me. Yeah, we're very close tonight. Almost like uh, the the scene in Superbad when Jonah Hill and and uh, Michael Sarah are very very close, and he says, "Boop boop." We had to light a barrel full of Patreon money to keep warm. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so we'll be ball. sending a picture saying, "This, this is where the, your money goes." This isn't like the 1920s German economy, Matt. Yeah, your money is literally keeping us warm, uh, literally. Uh, but yeah, how's how's everyone doing today? Uh, that was Matt. You just heard Jeff. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, finally had to wear pants, you know, because it fell below like 10 degrees. We're all very thankful in the studio. Yeah, you're like the one of the Chicago people that we see often where they're always wearing shorts no matter how cold it is. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Just well, it's real tough. You are, he's a tough man. And how about you? Kinda? I'm a weenie. You're a weenie? How are you doing? I'm a weenie. I'm wearing long underwear right now because I'm always cold. I always wear long underwear in the winter. All winter long. Oh, is it a one long piece underwear. though with like a little door in the back? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, they have that. Uh, Poop shoot as uh, it's affectionately called. Yes. Well, I just have a feeling in the pit of my stomach that this is going to be a great show. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what we like to call a segue in the business because we have two very special guests to us uh, coming to us today, and they're both coming to us from Pittsburgh, and we will introduce them right now. Our first guest is going to be a player today, and he's a cream of the crap supporter on Patreon, which we appreciate. Let's welcome back David Feuder. How's it going, David? Oh, I couldn't be better, Neil. Uh, very excited to. Uh, this is actually my first time playing a regular game here on Triviality, so I'm I'm looking forward to it. And um, 
I do think I might have a bit of a hometown uh, advantage with knowing the, where the host is from as well. So looking forward to it. That's very true. And we, we appreciate you joining us today. We appreciate we appreciate your uh, Patreon support. But uh, for anyone who maybe doesn't remember who you are, anything you would like to tell the listeners? Family law attorney here in Pittsburgh. Um, uh, live in uh, live pretty close to uh, where Taylor lives. I found out uh, here in Pittsburgh. We've got a wife and two kids, and uh, we have uh, greatly enjoyed uh, listening to you guys uh, since I became a supporter uh, probably about a year ago. So, uh, no, this has been great fun. It's been fun appearing on the podcast over the past year, and uh, looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here. And uh, you gave us a little spoiler there, but our guest host today is going to be. Uh, a cream of the crop member of our Patreon, uh, which we truly appreciate. And uh, we always love having him here. He's sort of the Ed McMahon of triviality, and that is Taylor Cook. How are you, Taylor? I'm uh, I'm doing great. Thanks, Neil. I'm happy to be here again. Uh, it's always a pleasure. And it, you know, actually, I just, I was just thinking about it and realized that after however many recordings this has been, that I've been in a different, like, residence every single recording. Oh, um, is that true? But yeah, yeah, I, I just realized that. But uh, hopefully that doesn't change for the next time because I just bought this house. So that would be bad news if I was uh, somewhere else next time. So. so since we've had you on so many times and you've like, you know, you told us what you've done and what you're all about and stuff. Why don't you this time, why don't you tell us a deep, dark secret that nobody knows? <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Wasn't prepared for this. Uh, let's let's let those skeletons out of your closet. No, no, we won't I... put you on the spot, but okay. okay. We we do know that Taylor loves Next pineapples because you have a giant art piece of a pineapple. I do like you. pineapples. Yeah, yeah. Um, and one thing we wanted to say to Taylor too is, uh, Taylor, I think I said this on the show, but just to formally say it with you here, I very much appreciate um, you taking you know me and Colleen we, around in Pittsburgh. We were there for just a few hours, and you gave us probably the best tour yeah. we could have ever gotten um, in a short amount of time, and we appreciate it. Yeah, it was it was super fun. I was glad to do it. Um, we got to like inadvertently eat at one of my more preferred restaurants here, uh, just because of Colleen's um, food food requirements. So that was that was awesome. It was, uh, and it, that food requirement for anyone is just that has to be chewed up by me first. <laughs> <laughs> this match uh, like a baby bird. Yeah, just think we, of, we had to find the softest food in the berg. Yeah, just think of uh, Ace Ventura when nature calls with the uh, the little bird up on the rock that he's climbing. Um, just kidding, Colleen. But uh, I do want to say, so we Taylor gave us a great tour of Pittsburgh, but I had a, a wonderful food tour there thanks to David. So both of our guests today helped me because wow. uh, in about an eight-hour span, I had not only the world-famous Peranti Brothers sandwich, I also had uh, Pamela's pancakes that were uh, very much like crepes, and they were fantastic. And then I also had uh, my favorite thing, which was the burnt almond tort, which uh, made me sick afterwards, but I, I thought it was worth it. And that was all David's and, well, a little bit of Taylor, too, but that was David's uh, suggestion. So thank you for that. Yeah, I mean, if you're being a lifelong resident here, I, I sort of know the four or five spots that you got to hit in a 24-hour period. That might not do, you know, good for your digestive system, but you got to sample them all. Yeah, and I didn't get a chance to run that trip, and I was able just to, to lose a little bit of weight. So uh, maybe Did you not. get the runs that trip? <laughs> I, I I didn't run, but I I could have gotten the runs. Yes, that's correct. So well, I think uh, I think after the the triple meal, you probably had to take all your clothes off before you use the bathroom, right? Well, you you have to because you need you can't have any. Uh, what does George say on Seinfeld? You can't have any things obstructions. Obstructions. Yeah. So, anyways, I think uh, me and uh, David as a team today will be the full Monty brothers. <laughs> ah, the full Monty brothers. Since you had to strip all the way down. So the the oh, Pramonti brothers put the fries on the sandwich. What do David and Ken put on the sandwich, the full Monty. We can't tell you. We can't tell you. 
They just uh, take everything off the sandwich. I would say it's, about it's just, more it's just about what bread, they take off toast. the sandwich. Well, long underwear. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's just Ken and David in between two pieces of toast. Yikes. Uh, Matt, what, what would you like to be today? Um, well, you're talking about that burnt almond tort. Uh, I believe David is in the law of some sort, so we could be the burnt almond tort law. Ooh, I like that. Burnt almond tort law. All right, let's get the rules. The rules of the game are simple. 20 questions split into two rounds worth 10 points apiece. At halftime, there'll be a special swing round designed by this week's host. After regulation, players will enter the final round with the points that they've accumulated and will have a chance to wager zero to 30 points on five categorized questions. At the end of the game, someone will be named the cream of the crop. If everyone's ready, we can uh, we can get going. Let's do it. Let us proceed. Go. All right. Let's start out with round one. Um, I thought it'd be fitting, since Dave and I were both on this podcast, to start off with a little bit of PitCon, uh, much like BritCon, but 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 Pittsburgh-based. Um, so question one category is just PitCon. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania is known as the City of Bridges, and for good reason. It claims to have more bridges within its city limits than any other city in the world, although some leave this up for debate. Within 50, how many bridges are in the Steel City? Oh, I, I, I Neil has inside information. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. All right, so you guys are locked in? I think I could be wrong, but I think we're locked in. All right. David, what do you say? Um, yeah, I think I, I'm telling you, I think it's a high, I think it's a high number because, but uh, okay. Yeah, why don't we say, yeah, how about 750? That sounds good. All right. Okay, um, Matt and I discussed uh, Chadwick Boseman's film 21 Bridges, but realized that that's Manhattan. Um, and I believe Taylor was telling us about the number of bridges. Uh, I can't remember where we were at, but it's it's the thing you take the card up on the hill, the mountain. Um, I want to say it's over 400, uh, and we went with 403. Okay, so uh, one team getting points here. Uh, so if I was to ask you the whole... The whole of Allegheny County, which is the county Pittsburgh's in, that would be over a thousand. Mm. Um, but specifically, with, I don't remember the exact number, but specifically within the city limits, there are 446 bridges. Wow! Mm. So you are within the range, Neil, um, at 403. So are these all going to be questions that Taylor has told Neil? Because <laughs> I'm going to be in trouble. I'm pretty, so. I'm pretty sure that's the only one. Uh, but I don't, I don't remember him or telling him that. So I'm glad he remembered. Well, thank you. I, and if the final question of number three, the final question, if I can wager 30 points on where that mole is, I think we'll get points. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving on to question two, PitCon 2, Electric Boogaloo. Pittsburgh has had a large impact on the food industry, most notably with being the birthplace of the Heinz Company. It's also the birthplace of what fast food menu item, which was invented in 1967 and 40 years later had a museum opened in North Huntington, PA in its honor. You won't find any Heinz on this one, though. So we are going to go ahead and lock in because uh, David knows this one cold. Okay. So, uh, Matt, do you have any thoughts off so the top of your head initially? thinking that you won't find any Heinz on it makes me think it's some kind of hot dog because oh. in Chicago, you don't put ketchup on a hot dog. It might play into a little bit about it. A little home home cooking for I us. I didn't think about that, actually. So I was going to bring what up. What if it's a chili dog? Chili dog. What about um, Sonic's wh favorite? What's the thing on the stick? Um, corn dog. Corn dog. Yeah, you wouldn't put ketchup on a corn dog. Could that be possible? Would which you one, put ketchup on a corn dog? Which one seems more pit to you? I think corn dogs are very pit. Yeah, I've chili Based dog on also nothing. seems pit to me as well. I would, but I used to, I would just dunk it. I think ketchup. if it was a Cincinnati chili dog. That's true. I, I that heard sounds delicious. Does that exist? <laughs> 
I heard people from Cincinnati like don't like when people talk about their chili, um, even though people talk about their chili. Mm, we're talking about their chili. Would you want to go corn dog? I, you oh. know what? I think we should go with corn dog. Okay, that's our answer. People on Pittsburgh will put Heinz ketchup on anything, corn dogs especially. So, um, oh. but I think the uh, hint in this one was there's no Heinz on it because there's a special sauce. I believe this is the Big Mac. Mm. Oh. And uh, the reason you wouldn't find any Heinz on this one is because the only ingredients are two all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. That is the Big Mac. Isn't there ketchup in the special sauce? And I mean, mm, I, you can't, I'm not maybe. sure. We're not allowed to not say. We're not allowed to say. We're not allowed to say. All right. Moving on to question three. Um, PitCon three, the pitning. And I will be uh, thanking my friend Travis for this question here. Uh, with the defeat of Wake Forest, the University of Pittsburgh became ACC Conference champions in 2021, as well as boasting an 11-win season. This is the first time Pitt has had an 11-win season since 1981. What future Hall of Fame quarterback led the Panthers to three consecutive 11-1 seasons over 40 years ago? Hmm. David's smiling pretty big, so I think we're locked in. We sure are. Yeah. Okay, so my first thought was Dan Marino is the most famous pit quarterback. Yeah. But there's one other one I, I'm, I can't think of right now that was also famous. It, it's not um, well, Broadway Joe. He was not a future. I don't know any other future Hall of Famers. And this is a man who is known for pit and isotoner gloves. That's correct. So, And uh, if d- differentiating between uh, Einhorn and Finkel? Finkel and Heinhorn. I think I think I'm okay with locking with Mr. Dan Marino. Okay. Eighty one, the the time lines up pretty well. Okay, but. I know there's one other really famous one, but I just, I can't think of it. So let, yeah, let's just go with it. We're gonna go Dan Marino. Um yeah, so Dan Marino grew up, I believe, less than a mile from Pitt Stadium, the old Pitt Stadium in Oakland. Um, and he was the quarterback there from I think seventy nine to eighty two or eighty to eighty three. And his first three years he won a bunch of games fell off a little bit in his senior year, which caused him to drop in the draft. But the answer is Dan Marino. And both teams have it. That is Dan Marino, Pittsburgh legend. All right, let's move away from the Pittsburgh-based trivia. No. I thought that'd be a little fun to start <laughs> off with, but uh, <laughs> but we'll we'll move on and we'll do something uh, a little bit more meta. Uh, the category for this will be before and after and after. So like I said, I'd like to do something a little meta here at Triviality as a way to try to finally instill some specific knowledge into the brains of our favorite podcasters. The number 42. and after and after is going to help tie together some commonly reoccurring trivia fodder from this podcast's historical vaults. So let's see if you can put this one together. Here it is. A member of a Canadian rock trio commits a series of six murders in New York after his dog tells him to write the rhyme of the ancient mariner. Which rush man is this? It's the, it, it's uh, not Getty Lee. It's a rushman. It's the guitarist. It's not Neil Peart. It's not right. Getty Lee. It's the other one. Oh yeah, this was Ken's question, wasn't it? What was the last? I got it, David. Nailed it. Ken, I had, yeah, I had the last two parts. I didn't have the first one. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. So you guys got it? You guys are locked in? Yeah. So obviously it starts with Donna Summer of Sam, right? Donna Summer. That's oh. not right. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it, it might have been Summer of Sam, but it, I think he only, I think it was only three. No, the dog definitely tells him to murder because okay. he, uh, I saw the, there was like a movie and it was ridiculous because they, they tried to make the dog's mouth move. Okay, and then we're looking. <laughs> That's never a good choice. <laughs> All I know is we, we, we got blasted for um, 
the Rush one because it's Getty Lee is the bass player, Neil Peart's the drummer, but we couldn't ever remember the guitarist name, and I can't. I'm losing it right now. Uh huh. Mark? No, it's not Mark. Um, we don't have an answer. I don't, here, right? I, yeah, let's just say, like you said, we'll, we'll go. Donna with, Summer of Sam Malone. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Taylor, the Rush the guy was so is, offensive to Taylor. He left. So. All right, Alex Lifeson. <sighs> Lifeson of Sam Ewell Coleridge, right, David? Yeah, that's. Okay. I knew the last two parts. Good pull on the first. Son of Sam. Can you repeat that one more time for for me, so so I Alex can... Lifeson of Samuel Coleridge. It's, it's Coleridge. easy. It's Alex Lifeson of Samuel Taylor Coleridge. Taylor Coleridge. Yeah. Oh, easy. Right. The scorekeeper getting it perfectly. It is Alex Lifeson of Samuel Taylor Coleridge. We're the two worst people to be teamed up for that one. Well, here's the thing, though. After after many episodes... I only remember because Ken asked it on the show. He did. After many episodes of us getting made fun of, I in my head, I was like, this is how I'm going to remember it. I'll go, for the life of me, I can't think of the guitarist's name. <laughs> and it didn't re- didn't help me. Well, maybe maybe this will maybe finally uh, put all the, the gears in right position. Um, so moving on to question five. Category is interns. And I'd like to thank my girlfriend, Val, for this question. Thank you, Val. The House of God is a novel written by Samuel Shem, which takes a satirical look into the world of hospital medicine as it follows a new doctor starting his medical internship. This book was a large influencer for what TV show, which would quote passages from the book occasionally and ran for eight or nine seasons, depending on who you ask. Oh, we can lock in. Okay. So, David, do you think this is... Is it House? No, I think it's Scrubs because they had that last... Because oh. they had that last season that didn't have the Scrubs oh, right, people in it. Right. With Young Franco? And That was when they moved to like ABC or something. They went off yeah, ABC for a year. Yeah. That's right. That sounds right. So that's we'll a say good, that's a good catch Scrubs. Up yeah, I think, I think doing the new class of anything is usually a bad idea. Um, so we also said Scrubs. <sighs> How do you feel about the new Saved by the Bell? Tell I, me you love it. <laughs> Needs more Mario Lopez. All right. Well, both both points, uh, or sorry, both teams could say they are a Superman because they both got it right. That is Scrubs. And after five questions, we have a score of 40 to 30 favoring the full Monty brothers. And uh, Burnt Almond Tort, I will now be abbreviating as Bat. So Bat Law uh, with 30. I like Bat Law. That's kind of like... <laughs> If uh, if Bruce Wayne if Bruce Wayne was actually in <laughs> yeah. Philly and he met up with Charlie and did Law and Bat Law, are you feeling any whiplash? <laughs> Swear to me, I'm under oath. <laughs> All right, moving on to question six. In a day or two, the 1980s were a great time for one-hit wonders such as "Come On Eileen" and "She Blinded Me with Science." However, one song was just as well known for its music video as for its catchy tune. What song released in 1984 ended up topping the Billboard Hot 100 in 1985 and went on to win six MTV BMAs and be nominated for two more in 1986? It has since seen musical covers by Real Big Fish and Weezer, as well as having its video spoofed on Family Guy, The Simpsons, and even a Volkswagen commercial. We are going to lock in over here. So I think I had kind of a eureka moment when he was reading this question, (laughs) did you? I think so. I think is that... um... Aha's take on me. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Matt and I both uh, turned into pencil drawings <laughs> and opened a door, and uh, inside that door it said, Aha, take on me. All right. Well, both teams have the rotoscope going because that is Take On Me by Aha. All right. Question seven Size doesn't matter. U.S. capitals are often not the largest city in their state, such as Montpelier, Vermont, which is only the fifth largest city in Vermont, 
Pierre, South Dakota, the ninth largest city in South Dakota, or Olympia, Washington, the 25th largest city in the state. However, which state capital is by far the smallest by population, nearly half the size of the next smallest? Oh, geez. What kind of razzmatazz is this? Ken, I think I know this one. Great, because I do not. Yeah, no, that's right. And okay, I, I like that answer because I know from experience that Juno, um, I was going to make a film reference, but I'm just going to refrain now. I that's just what the her phone was. Yeah, exactly. All right, so we'll, we'll go Juno. <laughs> Ready, got it in. So I, I think, Ken, that this is a uh, rather small town in the middle of Appalachia. I think it's Frankfort, Kentucky. Cool. I'm pretty sure that's a very small city. So that, that would be that would be my guess. Okay. Um, well, unfortunately, no points on this one. I think the cat. I, I, I'm this off the top of my head. I'm not looking it up. I know Juno is somewhere in like the thirty thousand population range, and Frankfurt's smaller. I think it's in the twenty five, twenty four thousand, or something like that. Uh, second, so this is actually kind of a, a doozy trick question. I like to throw those in sometimes. I think Jason is a bit of a, a trivia king uh, douche. Yeah. <laughs> Trivia aspirations sometimes. So actually, the second smallest is uh, Pierre, South Dakota, which is about 14,000. The smallest at coming in at just under 8,000 is Montpelier, Vermont. Oh, okay. Mm. It is uh, very, very small. I've been there. It is like a small town in Iowa, just with mountains around it. It's uh, just a main street, and what looks like a courthouse is just the state capitol building. We may be small, <laughs> but we are mighty. Yeah. Eh. Yeah, it's okay. That's okay. Alrighty. <laughs> uh, once again, asking you to stop. Question eight. Eyes the size of the moon. Ernest Hemingway was known for many things, but probably most notably his writing and raging alcoholism. So much so with the latter that he invented what cocktail, which is a shot of absinthe in a glass of champagne, and also shares the same name with a, his 1932 book about bullfighting traditions in Spain. You're making hand movements, but not saying words. I, I, I know what it is. I just, um, I, I need your help here. Hold on. Um, um, do you want to just go with this? Because I can't think of I any... want to go with this. Okay. We have an answer over here, and we don't know if it's right. Um, but we're just going to go with it. I can't, uh, I can't pull the, the name of this book right now. So I, d- I doubt it's The Old Man in the Sea. That doesn't seem no. like it's about bullfighting. But I think the other book is called The Sun Also Rises, and that would be my guess. I don't think that's the one however i can't think, I of, can't think of yeah i can't think of the there's uh for whom the bell tolls i think he mm. wrote yeah but that that's not it either but it's uh, not let's the short go, story snows of kilimanjaro the snows of kilimanjaro let's go with um let's go with the sun also rises because i cannot remember that bullfighting one now we were thinking that it was the old man in the sea breeze but I don't think that's right. Neil, what did we go with? Yeah, we think it's also a different book, but the only one that made sense was The Sun Wall- The Sun Also Rises, so that's what we locked in with. All right, well, unfortunately, no points on this one either. Um, a clue in the, uh, in the category being Eyes the Size of the Moon, uh, which is lyrics from, well, lyrics from Panic at the Disco's Nine in the Afternoon. This is Death in the Afternoon. Uh, oh. Which I'm pretty sure yep, is yep. because, uh, well... I mean, you can die during bullfighting, but also in his original instructions for the recipe, he recommended drinking four or five of these in one sitting, um, which is probably normal for him. But yeah, it does sound like death, though, at any time of day. (laughs) Question nine. I wish I could go back to college, and I would like to thank my friend Rob for this question. Uh, Specifically, he pretty much wrote the whole thing, and I love this question, but it's a little complicated, so stay with me here. So. Every state in the U.S. has a university named after the state. 
examples being obviously University of Illinois, University of Texas, etc. Out of these 50 state schools, only two pairs of two of them are located in cities that share a name. So for an example, this is a made up example, if University of Red State is in Collegeville Red State and University of Blue State are in Collegeville Blue State, they would both be in Collegeville. So I'm looking for uh, what are the names of those college towns, if that makes sense. So one of the answers, if that was a real example, could be Collegeville Red State and Collegeville Blue State. Does that make sense? Okay, yes. So for 10 points, yeah. tell me either one of the college town names, and for five bonus points, if you can name them both. And this is specifically for University of, not blank state university. It's a great question, and I think I know them both, so we can lock wow. them. Great. So we have no idea over <laughs> here. It sounds like David and Ken got it right away. To uh, sum it up, we don't know where, where colleges are, because... Uh... You went to uh, University of Iowa, which is in Iowa City, and I went to the the University of Elmhurst, which is in a suburb called Elmhurst. Elmhurst. So that'll, let's just do that. That's, those are answers. Elmhurst in Iowa City. Sure. So um, when Taylor was asking the question, uh, it's a great question too. The first one that came to my head, and maybe it's because they're in the same conference. They're in the Southeast Conference. I knew I knew right off the top, Columbia is one because that's where the University of South Carolina is and the University of Missouri. Uh, I think I'd heard that before. The other one I had to think about a little bit, but um, before uh, I was blessed with Kenny Pickett in my life and the Pitt football team, we used to go to a lot of road trips and some of them were in the MAC conference and we'd see Pitt lose games. One of them was to the University of Ohio, which I believe is in Athens, Ohio. So I'm going to say Athens because that's also where Georgia is. So I'm going to say, I hope that's right or else I'm really talking a lot about wrong answers, but I'm going to say Columbia and Athens. All right, and one one team getting points. It was Iowa City is and Elmhurst. Us? No, I'm just kidding. It was, uh, it was, yeah, you hit the nail right on the head. It's Athens, Ohio, Athens, Georgia for universities respectively and Columbia, South Carolina, and Columbia, Missouri. Very wow. good points there for 15. Thank you kindly. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, moving on to question 10, change for a dime. Nickelback is a Canadian rock group that's been playing since 1995. One of the best pieces of evidence for their Canadianness comes from the song How You Remind Me, when Chad Kroger rhymes sorry with story. Within two, how many Grammys has Nickelback been nominated for? For five bonus points, how many Junos have they been nominated for? Oh, jeez. Is a Juno like a Canadian It's a Grammy? Canadian rock award. Yeah. Rock award? Okay. Can you have any thoughts here? I, I mean, I Not imagine especially. it's as many. I was just going to say as many bridges are in Pittsburgh, or probably as many <laughs> Grammys as Nickelback has. But uh, I was just going to say uh, maybe five Grammy nominations and ten Juno. I was just wondering whether it's a trick, and there's like, is it zero? But I don't know that. No, probably. I doubt it. Um, I thought that too, but I think they were probably nominated. No, let's it's just not. say okay. five and ten. Five and ten sound good. Matt, you had an idea on this. My answer was pretty low, but you have a better reasoning. Well, I was just so they started in '95, and I think there's possibility for there's a lot of different categories for Grammys, uh, it's, and they continue to have a bunch for rock bands. Uh, they were people hated on them, but they were the probably number one rock band for like a four to five year stretch, I would think, as far as record sales and that thing. So it could be. Rock Band of the Year, single, album, etc. So I was thinking it was pretty high. Uh, I think we're going to lock in with 14 Grammy nominations. And then I think there's like them and some 41 battling out for the only rock bands I could think of from Canada. That also married Avril Lavigne? Yeah. <laughs> it's a little, yeah, they share multiple things. So we would say 26 for Juno Awards. Okay. Well, um, 
26 was close for the Junos, but but not not quite. Um, but uh, one team getting points here. They were nominated for six Grammys, winning zero. Mm. So five five gets it there. And they were nominated for 33 Junos. Um, <laughs> wow. But they won 12. So 10 gets uh, 10 gets some points there. Wow. That's insane. Good job, Good job guys. Um, so that brings up the end of round one. All right, extending their lead quite a bit in that one to 80 points, the full Monty Bros. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bringing up the uh, the rear, unfortunately, is uh, Neil's tort reform, and uh, that's going to be uh, 40 points for them, unfortunately. We need a tort reform in the second half. Yeah, we do. All righty. Well, let's move on to the swing round, and let's see if that can be a, uh, a true to its name and see if we can get a swing here. Not that I'm rooting for either team. I'm remaining non-biased. No, as a host. we we appreciate it. Thanks. Oh, there you. <laughs> now I thought of doing something. I couldn't really decide between swing round categories, and so I kind of did a little half and half thing. So it's a little bit of a slightly longer one, but I think it'll be kind of fun because they're pretty short. Um, first half of it's going to be household chemistry. So for that, I'm going to ask you the chemical names of household things you might find. And you just have to tell me what the more common name for that might be. Um, and then the second half will be cartoon bad guys. And I'm going to give okay. you a bad guy from, or just a villain or anti-hero, whatever, some some notable bad person from a cartoon series. And then I'll, you just have to tell me the name of the cartoon that that's from. Great. Okay. okay. All right. So we'll just go down the list there. For our household chemistry, first one will be sodium chloride. Second will be sodium hypochlorite. Third is sodium bicarbonate. The fourth is ascorbic acid. The fifth is acetic acid. Sixth is acetyl salicylic acid. And the seventh is cholecalciferol. All right, moving on to the cartoon bad guys. Um, so we'll call this one number eight, Mojo Jojo. Number nine, Dr. Heinz Doofensmertz. Number 10, Roger Klotz. Number 11, Gargamel. Number 12, Megatron. Number 13, Swiper. Number 14, Fire Lord Ozai. And number 15, Simon Bar Sinister. Well, I can tell you the second half of this round is going to go better than the first half. <laughs> and we will uh, be right back. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and get more time to actually play the games you love with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. 
All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. You'll hear everything from Comic-Con coverage to the huge Diablo 4 launch. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back. I've been informed I'm no fun because I'm the editor. And uh, let's get the answers <laughs> to the questions. That's the villain on Triviality. Yeah, yeah we I'm, had de- I'm definitely the villain. I know the that. The editor. We had really good jokes, really good stories, just like Ed Sullivan told us. Really good, really good jokes. Really big shoe. And uh, he cut them all. I cut them Great all. Great banter has been cut to nothing. Okay. So let's, uh, let's go back through them. So starting with the household chemistry, what did you guys have for sodium chloride? We had uh, table salt. Uh, we had regular salt and table salt. Okay, well, I will, salt. I will uh, accept both kinds of regular and table salt because that is table salt. Good job, guys. Number two, uh, sodium hypochlorite. Little, little, I heard a little uh, issues with this one, but let's see where we got. Well, that doesn't sound promising if we had issues because you were hearing us go over this. We, we, we settled on bleach. We actually thought it was bleach as well. And both teams are correct there. That is bleach. Good Ooh. job, guys. We've been misled. No, you're anime. <laughs> <laughs> the third one, uh, sodium bicarbonate. This was a. It was one of the bakings, and we landed on soda, baking soda. And we also went baking soda. And that's three for three for both teams. I cannot believe it. Baking soda. <laughs> Good job. Let's see how we do on these last four here. Ascorbic acid. Uh, this one, we believe we said vitamin C. We said it's your uh, everyday hand soap. Everyday hand soap. Everyday hand soap is usually made from something uh, with fat or lye in it, but uh, the gold standard for citrus or sour tastes, that would be vitamin C, ascorbic acid. Uh, We have acetic acid next. Uh, This one we said vinegar. We tossed around vinegar, uh, but we ended up down in some coffee. And that is uh, vinegar also. Good job. This one's, this one's, these last two are a little tough. Um, let's see where we got with these. Acetyl salicylic acid. Uh, we uh, ended up saying ammonia for this one. Oh, I always forget about ammonia. Um, we just said laundry detergent. Both of those get rid of my headaches very well. <laughs> well, this would be something you might want to take if you ever thought you might be having a heart attack. That is aspirin. Oh. Anti, uh, anti-platelet. All right. And the last one, colocalciferol. Let's see if I can finally pronounce it right. Colocalciferol. Uh, we said uh, charcoal. Oh, that's a good answer. No, we... it's not. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> no, it's not. Well, we said the <laughs> glass cleaner, so we don't know either. Well, this actually was mentioned by one team. Unfortunately, they didn't circle back to it, and this would be vitamin D, something very important in these winter months. Mm. I'm pretty sure we're all deficient, so make sure you're taking your supplements. Moving on to the second half here with the cartoon bad guys. What cart- I think we uh, we might be a little bit more promising here, so what was? where could we find our... Monkey Man Mojo Jojo. The Powerpuff Girls. We concur, Powerpuff Girls. Good job, both teams. Dr. Heinz Doofenshmirtz. Phineas and Ferb. We'll have to find the platypus. Yeah, we said Phineas and Ferb. Good job, both teams. Roger Klotz. I believe he was the bad guy on Doug. Mm -hmm. Leather jacket wearing Doug. Saw a picture of him compared to Elon Musk with his new haircut recently. Uh, that is from Doug. Gargamel. It's the baddie in the Smurfs. We said the Smurfs. 
Yep, his and him and his cat Azrael could be found in the Smurfs. And uh, on to Megatron. Transformers. Uh, yes, we also said Transformers. The leader of the Decepticons, that is Transformers. Uh, next is Swiper. That would be Dora the Explorer. We no. also said Dora the Explorer. Everyone's favorite uh, catchphrase of Dora's, Swiper no swiping. That would be Dora the Explorer. On to Fire Lord Ozai. Not too sure on this one, because uh, I haven't seen all of it, but we think it sounds kind of like Avatar The Last Airbender. Mm. Uh, we had no idea, but we just did a little game theory and said, hey, everyone loves Captain Planet. We said Captain Planet. That would have been a great Captain Planet bad guy name, but that is from Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh. Good, good pull on that one, Ken. And the last one seems like we might have had a little trouble with this one. Um, let's see if you guys got Simon Bar Sinister. I said I don't know this guy, so I'm going to pick a cartoon I don't know and say Ben 10. That's a good idea. We also said a cartoon we don't really know and went with Adventure Time. This one was a, uh, a little bit of a more of a, a stretch and uh, an older cartoon. If I told you that Peter Dinklage played him in the live action movie, I don't know if that would help any, but that is from Underdog. Oh, underdog. He's the little, the little short, uh, kind of bald mad scientist guy. You know, we tossed around Bullwinkle and stuff from that era. Yeah. Just underdog never came up. Damn. So, Jeff? Good job. And let's see how we did after those swing rounds, Jeff. Uh, still continuing their lead, Full Monty Brothers have a score now of 140 after adding 60 in that last round. Adding 45, not too bad. Um, not would too be, good. Would be uh, Bat Country over there uh, with 85. <laughs> Question one, category, it's only a game. Competitive esports has come a long way since the early days of athletes playing for mouse pads and gift cards. Since 2011, one game in particular has been paving the way for esports as a legitimate career option when they became the first game to offer a tournament-winning prize of $1 million. Since implementing crowdfunding as part of their prize money in 2013, that winning number has gone up and set a new record every year with the highest recently being an $18.2 million grand prize coming from a $40 million prize pool. What lucrative video game am I talking about? So Matt and I uh, wrote a bunch of names down, and then it kind of came to us at least what we think is the right answer uh, from previous experience and hearing the clue. So I think we're going to lock in. All right. Any, I have a few ideas, but David, have, what do you think? Yeah. So I don't think it's a sports game. I don't think it, I mean, Madden, I know does stuff, but I, my, the first two that came to my head was either league of, I think it's called league of legends. And then like world of Warcraft. Those were like the two. I World of Warcraft is not like a competitive game in that way. So it would what eliminate is of, that. What is league of legends? League of legends is, is definitely one of the ones I thought about. I also thought about overwatch, but I think league of legends is the most lucrative. Okay. Let's go with that. Yep. Okay. So we wrote, um, Fortnite, PUBG, and then Overwatch is the one I was actually thinking of where the kid won like a million dollars. Then we we broke down StarCraft, but then Matt, uh, Matt thought that maybe the clue led itself to... Um, it, it being in the game. Uh, I know Madden gives away million dollars now for sure to winners of the tournaments, and it was one of the first competitive gaming that I was thinking of. So we ended up going with Madden. All right. Well, unfortunately, nope. No points here. Um, the uh, League of Legends was very close. Is that it game Dota? Was actually, it, this is uh, this is Dota Two. <sighs> um, League of Legends was actually kind of based on Dota Two. Uh, game started as a Warcraft Three mod, and then Valve picked it up and made their own game. And it has been 
kind of not as much uh they've played it on espn a couple times but it doesn't get as much hype yeah. or i guess marketing as riot puts into league of legends yeah but uh yeah dota 2 is the answer Shucks. defense of the ancients too all right moving on to question two the jawbone's connected to the <laughs> the anatomical name for our jawbone is the mandible this is the bone that all of our lower teeth are connected to what is the name for the bone that all of our upper teeth are connected to and I'll give you a hint. It is not Goofy's son turning into a kaiju. You wrote down a, a clue, and uh, I think we should just go with it, even though I have an idea as well, but we'll go, we'll go for it. Okay. Uh, Goofy's son, his name is Max, I believe, in the Goofy movie. Kaiju is Godzilla, most famous kaiju, or Mothra is a kaiju. So what do we want to say, like Maxzilla? Maxzilla? Sure. Be a cool nickname if your name was Max, too, I think. Uh, yeah, we knew Max. Well, I knew Max was the name of uh, Goofy's son. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was thinking it was the maxillary is, sinus. But... These are the hint, hints that we need. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I thought I know there's like a maxillary sinus, which is the upper area that sometimes can get inflamed. But you well, wrote... no, that's what we're locked in with then. Do you, you, you know about sinus infections. Your sinuses are terrible. Yeah, they are. Uh, <laughs> do you want to call maxillary? Yeah. Maxillary sinus, I guess. Max and Larry. Okay. <laughs> So are you going with maxillary or maxillary sinus? I, I kind of need a little clarification there. Uh, sinus, sinus, sinus. All right, we'll go with the maxillary sinus. All right. Unfortunately, only uh, one team getting question correct. I would have maybe taken maxillary. It's just maxilla. Uh, they were right give them the, points. Right on give them the, points. I will. I'll give you points. They got, yeah, they got it, that I mean, far. It's technically an airspace behind, but yeah. Okay. Well, well, it was pretty close. We'll give them. No. We'll give them both points. Jeff it, says I mean, no. Sinuses, sinus isn't a bone. Maxillary contains maxilla. So, yeah, I, I I'm, I'm, uh, you guys were in the right, in the right area. <laughs> These are participation points, and I will take them. <laughs> <laughs> we're feeling nice. You're giving away points. Tonight. You selected the void over the bone, though. Don't do that. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to select. <laughs> never, never select the yeah. void. Avoid the void. Well, that was the from Neil's. Uh, from Neil's sinus complications, it sounds like they might be one and the same at this point. So who knows? <laughs> Just permanently connected. That was the, right. that was Domino's slogan when they briefly uh, started dealing antidepressants. <laughs> Avoid the void. Yep, he ruins pizzas. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on to question three: underwater basket weaving. Holding one's breath is done for many reasons, whether it be to avoid a bad smell, swim underwater, or throw a tantrum. Another reason might be in anticipation of something, or as it's also said, with bated breath. The first known use of this term came from what 16th century Shakespearean comedy? I like that one. I'm trying to remember. I'm just trying to remember if I said this in a play, because if I said it, I know what it is. And I, with bated breath, okay, I, I'm, I'm almost positive. Yeah, we can lock it in. The comedy Hamlet? The comedy Hamlet. Okay. okay, so Neil might have talked us into a right answer. <laughs> so I was going to say much ado about nothing, uh-huh. but since he said that he might have played this character, okay, it's the one with um, Puck. Midsummer Night's Midsummer Dream. Night's Dream. So that thank was, you. I, re- I was just starting to write down comedies. That was the first one so on my list. So thank you, Neil. I could have been right, perhaps. Been a swerve. I've been trying to swerve you off our path. This has become a comedy of errors, Neil. It has. Uh, we also locked in with a Midsummer Night's Dream. I believe it's when um, they drugged, when Puck drugs the the, the two pairs of, of people. And you can't, sh- you can't be saying that, Neil. Sticks, <laughs> sticks his hand in the peanut butter. 
he's <laughs> he's waiting with bated breath to see when they wake up and see what happens. I believe, but let's see what Taylor says. It's well, not... <laughs> I'm I'm not sure if it's used in in that or not. It it may be, and maybe this was earlier. I'm not I'm not totally sure. But according to my research, this was uh, the Merchant of Venice. Oh, oh no! Um, un, under underwater being the the hint that I gave a couple times because is that a Venice comedy? Is, according to yeah, I mean according to hmm, that's a laugh. The a Merchant minute. of Venice is hilarious. I'm gonna just text Colleen. <laughs> is flesh. is oh, Merchant oh. of Venice a, a comedy? And we'll see what she says. Okay. Just off off the cuff. All right. Let's get the next one. All right, moving on. Before I make the baited breath joke that I want to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on to question four. Exactly. Simply allegorical. Valentine's Day in modern culture is associated with love, courtship, and romance, as well as the complete loathing of all romantic tropes for some. For all this, we have what English poet to blame who is thought to have invented the traditions in their poem, Parliament of Fools, where they referred to February 14th as the day birds and humans come together to find a mate. If you don't believe me, just ask Jarvis. We're looking for the name of the poet? The poet, yes. Okay, and just for the record, Colleen texted back instantly and said, just yes. So apparently it's a comedy. I didn't know that. All right. It's hilarious. It's, a, it's very hilarious. I think it's the one Al Pacino was in, too. He's <laughs> <laughs> So we're looking for the name of a poet, Jarvis. No, we're not looking for anyone named Jarvis. We got to ask Jarvis. It's got to be a reference to a, a role Paul Bettany played, most likely. You think so? It has to be. Okay, so we tried to think of roles Paul Bettany played, um, other than uh, Kirsten Dunn's love interest in Wimbledon and uh, the uh, his most famous role. His most famous role, and then the the priest or the monk who uh, slaps himself with the cat of nine tails and angels and demons. But um, we have an answer, and we think it's wrong, but we're locking with it. All right. I think they might be going too deep. Do you think it's maybe just like Stark? I just got it from the film reference, but we're, we're already locked in. So what, Write it down. It does not, it's just brownie points. Oh. What about um, uh, maybe Chaucer? Because Neil, Neil just That's can't an shut poet. his mouth. I gave him That's another an English poet. Neil That's can't shut his mouth. Poet. All right, let's go with That's Chaucer. Canterbury Tales, right? Let's yeah. go with Chaucer. Yeah, I, I, it came to me that I believe he played Chaucer. Just let 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 it, let them get it too. Then uh, you can you can change your answer. Okay. All right. Yeah, I, I remember that he played a character named Chaucer at, at a Knight's Tale. I think. Right. Maybe. Uh, so yeah. We, oh, that was the movie that the, wasn't he's Gladiator. The that I was thinking he's of. the Chaucer. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, we were gonna say T. S. Eliot, which is very wrong. But <laughs> if you'll give us points, we'll go with Chaucer. <laughs> I will absolutely give you points. I'll give anyone points who remembers A Knight's Tale. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, it was Jeffrey Chaucer. Yeah, Paul Bettany. You guys are on the right track, and yeah, just needed a little bit of extra poke. It's called a lance. Hello. All right. <laughs> All right, good job, both teams. Well, good job, Neil, for then subsequently giving the other yeah. team points as Good well. job, maybe Neil. Double, all maybe he said was, points. oh, now I understand the, the reference. <laughs> yeah, anyway. It's all, all right, takes. Good job, just guys. A little, just a little shift. Move, moving on to question five, ACDC. Many small polyhedral objects has survived from ancient cultures, such as Greek, Roman, and Egyptian, but little is known about their specific intended purpose. Due to various markings and inscriptions, it's thought that they could be used for anything from divination practices to simple games. A popular form of these geometric shapes is the icosahedron, which is more commonly known as what to more than an estimated 50 million people worldwide, many of our listeners included. All right, so I only know dice from when 
Jeff and Ken talk about it. <laughs> who said dice? Who said dice? And then they turn up like the the otters or the. the Don't worry, we were going dice too. Yeah, no. Um. So yeah, Matt has an answer. So I'm gonna let Matt answer it. Do you think it's this one? He says, "Is he pointing to his D20 tattoo?" I have no idea. I was hoping maybe Neil could keep talking. And I, I don't. I don't think we need Neil to keep talking. I think it's a D twenty. Twenty. Okay. I thought that was a dodecahedron. That's twelve sided. Oh, okay. What did we say? What did we say? Uh, we said ten, which I don't think exists. No, it, it does, does exist. Well, it's not a D ten, and fortunately, it's uh, it's not Eminem's uh, former group D twelve. It is a D twenty. Uh, a twenty sided die. A D ten is yep. just known as a and decahedron. The uh, the category ACDC was reference to armor class, armor check, or difficulty <laughs> class. Oh, very good. D20, also the title of the movie where the Mighty Ducks carry around Gordon Bombay's <laughs> corpse casket, <laughs> like Weekend of Bernie's. So speaking it's of... It's like a uh, pile of dust. Speaking he's, of... He's the final... Oh, go ahead. Speaking of Dungeons & Dragons, I just want all the listeners to know my great shame as I just received <laughs> in the mail a $70 3D printed, uh, like... Character figure? Five centimeter uh, <laughs> Dungeons & Dragons model. $70 I, for... That I customized. Wow. It's fully customized, 3D printed, it's full cool. color. It's very cool. Oh, full color. I'll show you the pictures. Okay. <laughs> well, I uh, I don't even play D and D really, but I almost bought the uh, when Arby's came out with their set of of uh, dice that just had the Arby's logo on the highest number. <laughs> um, <laughs> unfortunately, I thought hopefully they'd have like a tiny smidgen of roast beef like in the in the acrylic, but they don't. A little bit they of the horsey sauce. About Ten minutes. Horsey yeah. sauce. Yeah. We have the sauce. dice. <laughs> Boom, boom, boom. All right. If you roll a one, you your pants. <laughs> I think if you roll anything, you your pants for eating Arby's. Arby's definitely no, has problems. Pants check. They, always, they pants always. check. All right, roll it. Roll your pants check. Who, who uh, kidnapped Ming Rame's children? Do you remember what we were doing? That's a constitution roll. Yeah, it is a constitution <laughs> roll. <laughs> All right, and the score after five in the second round, uh, Full Monty still in the lead with 180 points. And at 115 points, we've got Batman Law. <laughs> All right, question six, Bone Appleplete. The traditional chef's hat, or a toque blanche, has become a hallmark symbol of the profession, from the tall straight sides to the stark white color. These characteristics were originally meant to signify mm. the cleanliness of the kitchen with the color and the rank or seniority of the chef in the kitchen with the height. Another prominent feature of this piece of headwear are the 100 pleats or folds of the material along the sides. What was the original significance of the number of pleats of cloth seen on the headwear of our culinary compatriots? We can lock in, David. So they're locked in. Yeah, I, I think you're right because I, when he was reading off the the list of things about the hat, I remember it had to do something with cooking, and you wrote down. I think it's the hundred different ways to prepare an egg. And I, I think that's right. Let's lock in with that. Yep. We also said egg preparation methods. All right, and that will get points for both teams. Ah, yes. um, ways to cook an egg is like the one that kind of became the more colloquially known what it is, but technically, it's um, what they used it for was you would put a new pleat when you'd uh, master a recipe. Mm. So if you had, so it was the number of recipes mastered. And uh, when you got to a hundred, you could be considered a master chef. Mm. This was like in like Renaissance times, like a long time ago. So. When yeah, they were, good job when they were playing the loot. Yeah. I presume. That's why Guy Fieri's and, uh, shirts are always rolling. so wrinkly. Cause it's all the pleats from all the things he's mastered. All the recipes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
<laughs> Moving on to question seven. Come with me and escape. Bromeliads are a family of flowering plants native mainly to the tropical Americas and contain around 3,590 known species, such as Spanish moss, sapphire tower, and flaming sword. Only one species of bromeliad is edible, however, the Ananus camosus, which is better known as what? Approximately one-third of the world's supply is produced in Hawaii. I think we can lock in because I killed one of these plants before. A bromeliad, that is. So I know roughly what they look like. I'm so out of my element here. No, we don't know. Uh, water lilies. Uh, um, Want to just go coconut? Yeah. <laughs> we, that's probably wrong, but we'll say coconut. My thinking is that they don't grow on pine trees and are behind Taylor. Yeah. Uh, so like I said, I had a bromeliad in my house one time, and it kind of grows up in stalks like the top of a pineapple. So we think it's pineapple. Also the whole dull thing. Well, and the uh, the correct answer is pineapple. Question question number eight. Never say never. What chronic disease is often associated with a butterfly-shaped rash on the face and is hard to diagnose due to symptoms that come and go and are oftentimes mistaken for other diseases? Much to the dismay of Dr. House, several celebrities are known to have battled this disease, including Seal, Tony Braxton, Nick Cannon, and Selena Gomez. It's never that. I think it always is on that show, though. <laughs> we lock it. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. He just said it's never this, whatever. Yeah, so the House one is, do you know? Is this lupus? Yeah. So that's the one, that's one from House. So I think we should just go with that. Okay. We're saying lupus. Yeah, I think I heard something about those celebrities having that. So we said lupus. And the correct answer is lupus. And never say never because he did always say it's never lupus. Um, I believe Seal specifically had discoid lupus, which is what caused the the uh, scars on his mm. face here's when he was a kid. Here's a fun fact. Um, I did not know this, but Seal, accomplished singer and whatnot, um, The Harder They Fall, the movie on... Netflix, the Western that we were talking about with mm. Idris Elba, that, that's really good. It was directed by Seal's brother, who's a British rapper. Really? Yeah. Whoa. Because I looked up the director, and I was like, oh, he's only done one short film. This is his first feature film. How did he get this man? I looked it up. He's a music video director and a rapper. British rapper and Tarantino enthusiast, apparently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. His name Porpoise? <laughs> <laughs> Walrus, actually. Yeah. Walrus. <laughs> Cuckoo kachoo. That's crazy. Yeah. All right. Question nine. This one's for Ken. Yay. The theme song for a TV show or movie can be one of the most iconic aspects of the show, such as the Rembrandts performing the theme song for Friends or the Bare Naked Ladies performing the theme song for The Big Bang Theory. Not many bands can say they've gotten multiple themes, though, like this pop punk band, which has performed the theme for Phineas <laughs> and Ferb, <laughs> as, well as, as well as the main theme for the Jimmy Neutron movie and the theme for the 2008 game Sonic Unleashed. Name this Texas band that's been together since 1994. <laughs> They're banned. Banned, I say. All right, so we all know it's Bowling for Soup. Yeah. yeah. But we got We always got to get a good Bowling for Soup reference in here. All right, Bowling got for it. Soup. Every, everybody says Bowling for Soup. Yeah, that's correct. All right, all right moving that's on. never been on the podcast before, right? Never. Yeah. First time ever, First time. both teams got bowling for soup. <laughs> Correct That's answer. it. That's the last one, guys. That's yeah. it. I actually heard, though, that the 1985 was a cover. Oh, my God. Of another <laughs> it is. No, it is. Yeah. 
That's true. Oh my god. Get one of those newfangled suicide booths. <laughs> Fire it up. Let's go. Oh boy. All right. Question 10, last question in round two. Not for fish sticks. One of the reasons routine dental cleanings are so important is because of the buildup of tartar. This accumulation <laughs> occurs... <laughs> this I, I, accumulation I occurs... Funny. Wait, the fish sticks. Ah, uh, fish sticks. I don't gotta dip my fish sticks in... <laughs> okay, Mitch Hedberg. Rest in peace. Yes. This accumulation occurs when debris from food isn't removed from the tooth surface totally and combines with the natural levels of calcium and phosphorus in our saliva, creating a hardened surface that can't be easily removed by brushing. What is the technical name used for this tough stuff? Remember, plaque is the prerequisite here, not algebra. I think I know it. Oh, you know it. I do. Excellent. I do know. I have a guess. Is it bowling for soup? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um... Algebra is a prerequisite for oh for calcium. Calcium oh yeah, calcium deposits. Is that possible? That sounds like something calcium that I've looked deposits. up and been scared about. Yeah, calcium deposit. Did you say calcium? I did. I because my brain is <laughs> not, not fun, functioning. Matt needs a software update. That's, that's the one invented by uh, Gottfried Leibniz. Shits. <laughs> Because <laughs> a calcium deposit is like the hardened. Well, we um, qualified for business calcius, so I was able to take the real one. <laughs> can you can you pass a calcium deposit? Probably. <laughs> what are you talking? Oh, sorry, I'm just thinking to myself. I'm trying to go through all the WebMD articles that I've been on when I had like a. It's a safe space. We can allow Neil uh, to think stones? his butts. Is it lupus? I've had con I've had tonsil stones, which I had to have shot out with a water pick, like it was a carnival. Uh, calcium deposits. Let's I, do I, it. I think we should go calcium deposits. That's fine. Great. Uh, I I I was thinking more of the math term. You know, uh, AP calc. I was just thinking calculus. All right. And the uh, the correct answer, much to the dismay of some, may not be calcius, but it is calculus. Mm. Oh my gosh! I knew I always hated calculus. Mm -hmm. I really hated calculus too. Yeah. Yeah, like the second round. I understand. We'll do, we'll do some math now and tell us what our scores are. I mean, the math is pretty easy. Um, five for five in that second half for Fulmani Brothers brings their score from 180 all the way up to 230 points. Wow. Two hundred and thirty points. I turned into a points. DJ. You did. Wow. <laughs> Whoa. Um, and uh, 30 more points there, uh, adding to the other team, Batman Law's score. Uh, so they're at 145 points. Oh, we can still catch up. Man, Let's just throw it all bench. on the table. Almost, because we, we don't have enough. <laughs> Whatever we can throw on it, we'll throw on it. But we need to hear the categories first. We'll go the full Monty on this one. All right, and let's bring it to the final round, where the categories are, in order, these syllables. Re, fridge, er, eight, or. All the wagers are now locked in. So let's go ahead and get the questions and finish these guys off. Question one in final round. Category is re. Recidivism is a term used for describing the tendency of a convicted criminal to reoffend or be rearrested for similar offenses and is an important metric for quantifying and comparing the effectiveness of criminal justice systems among different countries. Which country has the lowest rate of recidivism in the world, hovering at an impressive 20% after five-year follow-ups? For comparison, the U.S. is just below 50% after three-year follow-ups. Number two, 
fridge. William the Refrigerator Perry was a former Chicago Bears defensive lineman who might be best remembered for his rushing, rushing touchdown in the 1985 Super Bowl to help win the team's franchise, the team franchise's only title. He would be the only defensive player to score a touchdown on offense in a Super Bowl until 19 years later when what player accomplished the same feat two years in a row? Number three, Er, or ER. The hit TV show, ER, ran for 331 episodes and 15 seasons from 1994 to 2009 and is currently the, song the second longest-ran medical drama in U.S. history behind Grey's Anatomy. The show was originally based on the personal experiences of what physician and novelist who had a few other minor successes in the 90s with some books about dinosaurs and tornadoes or something. Question four, category eight. In Chinese culture, the number eight is associated with luck and prosperity due to the word for the number eight sounding very similar to the Mandarin word for wealth and the Cantonese word for fortune. Due to this widespread superstition, what event began on August 8th, 2008 at 8.08.08 p.m.? And category five, OR, or OR. Laparoscopic or minimally invasive surgeries and techniques have been used on humans since the first one performed in 1910. In 2001, another milestone was achieved when the first transatlantic surgery was ever performed. The Lindbergh operation, as it's known now, was, completely was a completely telesurgical operation done by a team of French surgeons in New York on a patient in Strasbourg, France, using high-speed telecommunications and a surgical robot. The surgery itself, however, was just a simple cholecystectomy, which is the removal of what internal organ? All right, we have our questions. We'll be right back with our answers. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. All right, the answers are now locked in. Let's get the questions one more time. Find out who wins. By the way, we bet 20s all the way down. Yeah, and we bet uh, 30 all the way down, except for the final question. We bet 25 because that's all the points we hit. Okay. All righty. Well, the first, the first question, category re, uh, talking about recidivism and the tendency for a convicted criminal to reoffend or be rearrested for similar offenses. Which country has the lowest rate of recidivism in the world, hovering at an impressive 20% after five-year follow-ups? Uh, and for comparison, the U.S. is just below 50 so not too good. All right. Well, I think uh, Finland has a notoriously good prison system, and we said Finland. Yeah, we knew it was somewhere in Scandinavia. Uh, we just couldn't 
you know, bring it down. We just thought for game theory, maybe the Netherlands has a low recidivism rate. Right. Well, uh, notably, all Scandinavian countries are quite low in the low 20s, but the lowest is Norway mm. at 20%. Moving on to question two, <clears throat> fridge. I was talking about, of course, the fridge himself, um, William Perry, rushing uh, a touchdown 1985 as a defensive man on offense. And who would be the next defensive player to score a touchdown on offense in a Super Bowl 19 years after? Uh, when what player did that twice, two years, or two years in a row, the same thing, twice in a row. So defensive player scoring on offense in 2004 and 2005. Yeah, so I think Taylor using those years in question, it has to be a Patriot because um, they're about the only teams during that time frame that went to multiple Super Bowls in a row. And I do, I kind of remember Mike Vrabel, uh, the current Tennessee Titans coach, scoring a uh, touchdown in at least one Super Bowl. So I'm going to go Mike Vrabel. That's a really good guess. Uh, we were also thinking Patriots. I think 05 was the Rams year, maybe one of those. I don't remember exactly who they were playing. Uh, we went with a different guy, a guy who got a handoff from time to time and might have scored on defense, um, but we said Vince Wilfork. Okay, well, one team getting points. Um, this player actually throughout his career uh, was targeted, I believe, 14 times for 10 touchdowns, and that was uh, Mike Vrabel. Mm-hmm. I always thought he was a tight end for some reason. I don't know why. He just he, they just put him on offense a lot for some reason. Because um, he scored, little, yeah, <laughs> caught the ball. Um, <clears throat> all right. Question three, category ER or uh, ER, and that was talking about ER running for 331 episodes, 15 seasons, um, second longest medical drama in U.S. history behind Grey's Anatomy. The show was originally based on the personal experiences of what physician and novelist who had a few other minor successes in the 90s with some books about dinosaurs and tornadoes or something. Yeah, his most famous work, of course, was uh, about a coma. It was called Coma. But uh, we went with Michael Crichton. Yeah, and sometimes when I uh, run a little too hard running in the morning, I might get an Andromeda strain. Uh, We said Michael Crichton. And that was the guy who also wrote and uh, directed the original Westworld series. That was Michael Crichton. Good job, both teams. Number four, categories eight. So in in Chinese culture, eight is a very lucky number. So what uh, event due to that began on August 8th, 2008 at 8.08.08 p.m.? So... uh... Thinking of uh, events that occurred in 2008, that's one of those uh, years that would have held the Olympics. That's in the you gave a date that's in the summer, so we're going to say the Beijing Summer Olympics. We needed a little help on this one. Uh, it took us a while to think about it, but once we remembered that it was an event, not just people crossing their fingers or making a wish, uh, we said the Olympics as well. All right, well, both teams getting points. So this is the 2008 Beijing Olympics, and uh, coming down to this one. I don't know what, what, what the scores are adding up, but we'll uh, we'll find out that mathematical magic here in just a little bit. Last category is OR, or OR. Talking about laparoscopic surgeries and how in 2001, a milestone was achieved when the first transatlantic surgery was ever performed. This operation was completely telesurgical and done by a French a team of French surgeons in New York on a patient in Strasbourg, France, using high-speed telecommunications and a surgical robot. The surgery itself was a simple cholecystectomy, which is the removal of what internal organ? Well, we weren't too sure. Um, We considered appendix, but we thought that was appendectomy, and so we said the gallbladder. 
Uh, we also were tossing around those two items. We ended up going with something that we thought might be easier to do and not as invasive and went with the tonsils, which is probably a tonsillectomy, now that I say it out loud. Uh, removal of the tonsils is a tonsillectomy, and if I was to tell you that Strasbourg, France, is now currently in the former region of Gaul, that might give you the uh, the hint that this is the gallbladder. Not spelled the same, but you know. Losing twenty five points in the the final here. Unfortunately, backcountry lawmen uh, are going to drop to one hundred and twenty points. And this week's cream of the crop, adding 60 to their already towering 230 for a total of 290 points. Full Monty Brothers. Yeah. Let's take it off. Cream of the crop. <laughs> or not. Hey, please. Uh, you know, even if they were the half Monty Brothers, they would have beat us today because we stung. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just needed a little peek and they would have beat us. That's right. Um, I think in the uh, world of torts, that is a... Uh... It's probably an assault battery. <laughs> I think you're right. Um, this was this was a very good game. Uh, you you both played, you know, just so much better than we did. It, we we uh, should be embarrassed with ourselves, I think. But um, David, uh, you partnered with Ken today. Uh, you came out victorious in your first appearance as a player. Um, how was it? And uh, is there anyone you'd like to give a shout out to? Uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, I certainly got partnered with the, uh, I'm, I'm glad the seating arrangements there sort of worked out the way they did because Ken helped me on quite a few that I had no clue on. So, uh, I feel the same. Um, but, uh, no, thanks for having me on. Um, it's always a pleasure to be on, uh, the podcast. Um, just a shout out to anybody listening out there. Uh, please, please support the podcast. It's a great, it's a great thing. It's rewarding. It's awesome. Every Tuesday when the podcast pops up and you know, you have a little bit of uh, something to do with it. So uh, that's what I would encourage. And uh, thank you guys again. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for saying that and for supporting the show. Uh, Taylor, uh, I forget what number visit this is uh, with you on the show, but you always bring a wonderful game with uh, different categories and good jokes and good references and everything. But anyway, this is one of your best. We always appreciate you coming here and, and appreciate your support. But anyone you'd like to shout out or any, any uh, last words from you today? Well, just uh, just like David said, I'd also like to say thank you. It's always it's always a great time. I, I think this is number six, which is my lucky number, um, I guess. Apparently, uh, I was I was hoping this game wasn't too hard. I, I tried adding some uh, some little hints and stuff in there that hopefully made it fun for players and listeners alike. So um, I hope I hope everyone enjoys it. But uh, yeah, it was super fun. Um, just a shout out to I don't know anyone and everyone listening, and just to to um, echo what david said uh patreon support is has only made this uh this podcast better and um i'm very happy to be a part of a great community that has uh, allowed for some only improvement of my trivia skills and my enjoyment of the, the game itself so um also as i mentioned earlier vitamin d is really important it's uh Vitamin D deficiency is one of the leading causes of seasonal depression. So in these winter cold months for anyone in the Midwest or anywhere where it's cloudy a lot, like Pittsburgh, uh, just make sure to keep up on your vitamin D supplements. Get those subs. Yeah. Yep, yep. And oh, and shout out to my the team I have been playing trivia with. We change our team name every week, but my favorite was the Patty Mayonnaise Experience. So if any of them are listening, <laughs> let's win it again. I'm still waiting for the uh, setup between uh, Taylor the Tooth Cook and Chase the Bone Doctor Ansock. That would actually be an, an epic matchup. As yeah. them on a team or or what? Or them co-hosting or no, something? No, they got to go up against each other. Oh, I, I like head that. To head. 
right. We'll try or, to cook. We'll try to tooth, cook that tooth up. Tooth to bone. If Chase is up for it. Wow. Yeah. The bone doctor getting called out. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta but put tooth we, to bone. Let's see which breaks first. Tooth to bone. All right. <laughs> That's that's what the I've heard uh, of when the bullet the, hits the bone, but not when the tooth breaks the bone. That's what the uh, that's what the event is called: tooth to bone. Uh, tooth to bone three. Well, <laughs> Revenge. I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I have heard that if you if you bite hard enough on your finger, you can get through it with the force it takes to bite through a baby carrot. And if that's true, it sounds like bones are pretty weak. I'll be uh, so, I'll be testing that later. We thank you guys for your support and for being on the show today. And I think that'll do it for Jeff, Neil, Matt, and myself. That was Triviality. <laughs> Wait, so what is a constitution check? It's like Which means whether or not... Oh, God. It's like if you're, uh, you're going to pass out or get drunk or <laughs> your pants. If you have enough fortitude, <laughs> basically, yeah. to, to manage yeah. a task. So in other words, your constitution would be like seven... Okay. And a normal that, person's would be like 10. 10. I see. Okay. That's okay. an insult. It's not an insult. He knows he can't, he can't eat spice or... Uh-huh. Yeah, he can't eat it's spice. It's yeah. effect. Bench press a bar. <laughs> that's that's strength. <laughs> oh, that's true. Okay. I, I think you have I low constitution. Do Your strength, problems. I'm sure, is fine. Your dex is fine. Your charisma is off the charts, so... I just, yeah, yeah I make up my dex and what, uh, constitution with charisma. Constitution, constitution, yeah, constitution sucks, bro. Yeah, it's basically how much uh, how much damage you could take. Mm. <laughs> I've taken a lot of emotional damage in my life, so does that, is that good for a roll? You roll 20. Uh, you probably have high wisdom. Emotional then. baggage. Wait, do, you, uh, do, you get, do you get, like, plus, like uh, plus points if you've taken uh, your migraine medication? It it could go either way. Either I'm I'm so loopy, I'm like Martin Short uh, on a bender, or it can get real dark. Does that buff wisdom or intelligence? Wisdom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay.